0: From the EPR Creation Studio, this is Jason Staples bringing you the Unconquered Podcast. As always, this podcast brought to you by EPR Creations, bringing you the best of internet marketing and website development for an affordable price by Shenandoah Newsma of ShenRealEstate.com and Louis Marquez of Keller Williams Realty in Jacksonville, Florida. Oh, and also don't forget Garage Makeovers, the number one garage remodeling company in South Florida, thanks to my sponsors and also to all, the, all you long-suffering Patreon folks, who've been uh, tolerating fewer podcast episodes of late as I've uh, been working through finishing my second book, which is now available for pre-order. So I'm, uh, been sp- I've am i spent 20 years on this book, and uh, really uh, the last three years have been uh, pushing as hard as I possibly could, given all other things, and I cannot wait for this to be out there. And uh, also having it done gives me... A bit more margin to be able to do this sort of thing a little bit more often, so looking forward to being able to uh to get back into the saddle and uh normalize more off season content got some scouting report stuff coming up and and all of that so uh looking forward to to getting into that but today we are going to be doing some specific stuff i've got I've been putting off a mailbag episode I've got a lot of mailbag questions uh some folks and <laughs> quite a few. Uh, So I'm going to, I'm going to work through at least the ones that seem relevant for the moment might leave some for, for later, but uh, but yeah, I'm, I've got, I've got a lot of questions to work through here. Uh, A couple other things before I start the the actual mailbag proper, obviously the transfer portal had, uh, has been active or was active uh, before I, or since I last recorded and uh, you've seen Zane Herring. You've seen Gant, Dix, Duke, Cooper, Travis J, Bishop, Thomas, and Micah Pittman all hit the portal. Uh, none of those are situations where Florida State is really broken up about those guys transferring out. Uh, yeah, I mean, Herring was a guy that that had just essentially been passed up by by guys behind him, by by underclassmen, younger younger players. So that makes room. Uh, you wish him the best as he moves forward. He worked hard, but ultimately they. You know, that's what you try to do. You try to recruit over the guys you have on your roster, and hopefully the guys you have on your roster develop enough to to beat those younger guys out. And if they don't, well, you help them find the best place that they can go. And that's basically where he was. Uh, Gant, Cooper, and Jay, and Thomas all winding up in uh, Florida State's minor league team, uh, all all sort of being demoted to uh, to Colorado. And honestly, all of those guys will probably do pretty well out there. I mean, that, that is a roster that is pretty bare of talent and those guys all are upgrades for the most part at what they, what they bring to the table. I mean, Cooper Cooper and Jay probably start in the secondary there. They're certainly going to get starter minutes. Uh, Thomas is a guy that is going to play day one uh, on, the, on a defensive line that desperately needs big bodies. And and he was a guy that, that kind of got lost in the shuffle at Florida state. I mean, they, they didn't really know where to put him at this point because he's a defensive tackle body. He's got good quickness, all of those other things, but they were so deep now at defensive tackle that they had moved him to that that uh, uh, that fox position, and it, it was not quite as natural a fit for him. And he's going to go someplace where he he probably is a starter at defensive tackle, uh, and then Dix going to going to Marshall again that makes sense for him he's a guy that i do think that's a loss he and gant both there that's a loss in terms of special teams and 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 some depth that you want there but again it makes sense that those guys actually want to move on and and go places where they can start and they can play and those those guys are not starters at florida state they're you know important special teams guys but but fsu at this point has some bodies that they can throw out there uh some talented young bodies that they can get get some reps on special teams and, and they'll be okay. Uh, And then Micah Pittman. And that was one that, that I'd been uh, notified of a little bit before uh, that happened. And that, that was, that was actually a mutual thing. Uh, This was not Pittman. uh, He's not leaving disgruntled. This is not Florida state forcing him out, but it was a situation where, you know, in exit interviews and and all of those things, when you're assessing, okay, what's, what's my role going to be next year, coach, and what's your role gonna be next year, son? Uh here's here's where we see you most likely given all the other things on on in, in the program and coming off of injury and all of those other things. And Pittman's a guy that that he wants to be on the field. He wants to play. He he one of the reasons that he left Oregon is he was frustrated that he didn't get touches, uh that he was, you know, a glorified blocker when he was out there and felt like the the offense didn't didn't really work to get the ball in his hand as a playmaker. And he got he got to Florida State and was used quite a lot last year. I mean, he was in he was an extremely integral part of the offense last year and was a valuable third down target, uh, a screen target, a guy that they used as a bit of a Swiss Army knife and was a huge asset at as a punt return. But not a game breaker, not a guy that's going to going to uh make a lot of big plays for you down the field, not a guy that's going to break tackles and and wind up being a, a, a you know, turning a five yard completion into an 80 yard completion. And all of a sudden you've got more talent in that receiver room and he's coming off injury and you're looking at being a 12 personnel base next year with Jaheem Bell as the additional sort of swing guy that you're going to play in that role more often than not. And, Pittman's going, okay. well, where do I fit? How many how many reps am I going to get? And give the coaches credit. They're honest with (laughs) him like right now. Well, I mean, even if you came back healthy, you're going to be competing for reps in the slot with Winston Wright, with Kentron Poitier, a little bit of Douglas. And then, of course, Bell is going to be the primary on the field in that in that role. So, you know, you're going to probably have maybe a third of the reps, even if you're healthy that you did last year. And there was some concern on the coaching side that you've got a guy who really, I mean, he's a competitor. He wants to play. How happy is he going to be with a third of the reps that he got last year if he's healthy? And then if he's not quite as healthy, he's going to get even less than that. So how happy is he going to be? And you don't want somebody who's really unhappy in that in that situation. So for for this, that situation, that was one where it made sense for all involved for him to seek other situations. And then He got some great opportunities and he's going to have some uh, excellent opportunities as a uh, in terms of NIL and uh, in terms of his influencer stuff at Utah. And so that was the that was the landing spot from the start made a lot of sense for him. Everybody's happy with that result. Pittman got what he what he hoped for out of his year at Florida State. Florida State got a ton out of him in his year at Florida State. They're they're thrilled for him to be able to land where he he's going to be able to prepare for his life after college football. And he's happy to go to a place that he's going to be, you know, probably number one or number two wide receiver out there. And then that makes room for Florida State to be able to make sure that they're getting guys on the field that they feel can make bigger plays in that role. Winston Wright being one of those guys and then of course we'll talk about the other addition that has a real shot at being being one of those guys uh now that he's on campus later in the show but uh essentially that means that that you are seeing what what Florida State's going to be on offense and I think again the default is going to be Johnny Wilson and Jaheim Bell as your primary two uh at that nine position your split end position and then that slot slash H back. They're going to move him around, but, but Bell is going to be a guy that they're going to move around all a bunch and they're going to be able to play heavy. They're going to be able to play big. And this is Mike Norvell being ahead of the game. I mean, so many defenses, so many teams have recruited to go smaller and to, to defend 11 personnel and 10 personnel, you know, one back three wide receiver, one back four wide receiver type personnel, And everybody's base nickel now. And, you know, if you can zig when everybody's zagging and go big against base nickel, you can give teams a lot of trouble. And those teams that want to go tight front and you can go two tights and put an H back out there. You can do different things against that to to, you know, offset that that front a little bit in ways that that make them uncomfortable. You can do a lot in the running game. And that's what Norvell set to do this year. And that's going to be really interesting to see. And again, the question, and I'd, I'd said this after the spring, I'm, I wasn't sure what, uh, after the spring game, I wasn't sure what Micah Pittman's role was going to be, how many reps they'd have for him next year because of that that situation where I think they're going to be a 12 personnel base and they'll bring in 11 personnel some and, you know, sometimes go four wide, but most of the time, even when they go four wide, I think they'll still have Bell on the field. So you're looking at 12 personnel and then sometimes 11 personnel with Bell as the one tight end type on the on the field there's just not quite as many reps for the for the extra slot receiver and so that makes a lot of sense so that's where things stand and then in terms of the other uh the, the rest of it in terms of additions keon coleman really the 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 main addition potential left on the board as i record this uh the transfer uh number one wide receiver from michigan state he would be the number two wide receiver at florida state uh, and a real, a real possibility. I mean, it's down to him and in, in Mississippi. From what those who are better connected than I am on the recruiting side uh, are, are are saying, and you know, he's a guy that as I as I looked at him, looked at what he was able to do at Michigan State, he's a ball skills guy. That's really what he is. Uh, very good possibility for the two spot in the current offense, but I think he's really more built to be a nine player in the offense. So a guy that would you know step in in Johnny Wilson's role after Wilson. Uh, but, and, and also when Wilson's not on the field, he gives you the ability to rotate in at that spot. But I think he's a day one starter opposite Wilson at this point and would be in the mix from the start, uh, likely a day one starter. A uh, very similar player, I think, to Kentron Poitier in a, a lot of ways, but with a little bit more top end speed. Uh, I think he's a good player who makes you better, but I think the, the wide receiver room is also so healthy right now that they're going to be fine even if he chooses to go elsewhere. So it's a, it's an additive thing like, okay, well that makes you that, that insulates you from some of the, uh, the, the potential, uh, it raises the floor of your room significantly to bring him on in, into the fold. But, uh, in terms of raising the ceiling, I'm, it doesn't raise the ceiling quite as much as what you might, might think given his numbers at Michigan state, but he's a guy that is a, uh, he's a jump ball back shoulder monster and a guy that, that is a vertical threat uh, in that respect. Not going to run away from you as much, but he is a one-on-one. He's going to win one-on-one matchups and, and go up and, and win the football when it's in the air. That's basically what he is. So uh, so yeah, I'm uh, going to go ahead and start jumping through, wading through the mailbag now. Mailbag brought to you by Luis Marquez of Keller Williams Realty in Jacksonville, Florida. If you are in Jacksonville and you want your mail to be end up ge- being forwarded to a good address then you need to talk to lewis marquez or if you're getting ready to change your mail address to some other place and you need to sell your house in the greater jacksonville area nobody's going to do a better job of that than lewis so give him a holler let him know you heard about him from the unconquered podcast all right so um first question uh this i don't remember who this is from sorry but uh florida state's defense basically allowed clemson to do what it wanted last year what could florida state have done better to prevent that Uh, And I went actually back and forth a little bit with this uh, with this question off air. And uh, my immediate response was, well, have healthier defensive tackles in that game. (laughs) That's that's the first thing have have better, healthier defensive tackles. That that's that's my answer. And the response was, wait, defensive tackle play would have stopped Shipley because it seemed like it was all him. Yes, exactly. That's the point. See, here's the thing. If you control the line of scrimmage from the inside out, all of that space that Shipley was able to get in that game starts to disappear. You can, if, you can, if you can handle the A gaps and the B gaps and work inside out there and force Shipley to run wide where you can, you can pursue him with your speed and you can force him to break tackles behind the line of scrimmage or at the line of scrimmage. And not hit not hit the line of scrimmage with a head of steam going into a hole. All of a sudden, Shipley's in trouble. The issue that that Florida State faced in the the common theme in all their losses, and even in the in the uh, Oklahoma game, where again you had uh, Love it as a scratch in the Oklahoma game. The common theme in the in the games that they lost last year was that they could they didn't hold up on the defensive interior. They. They got pushed around a defensive tackle. And that was basically when you had, you know, redshirt freshman or what freshman Joshua Farmer and uh, Malcolm Ray as your primary defensive tackles on the field. When those guys were on the field, they got pushed around. And I've said this for what for three this, going on three years now, the starting defensive tackles for Florida State have been pretty good when Lovett and Cooper were on the field last year and they were healthy, which was not much of the year. Teams did not run the football on them. LSU struggled to run the football when those guys were on the field. The moment you got to the the twos at Florida State, a defensive tackle, the last two years, things changed. Go back to the Clemson game two years ago. Florida State nearly beat Clemson in Death Valley. But Clemson had a series of big plays, and every one of them was when the backup defensive tackles was on the field, or backup defensive tackles were on the field, that is grammar i can has so that's the thing if you if you have that big of a drop off and and there's one play in particular from two years ago that that i i remember on this it's just glaring is back down in the uh clemson's going from left to right uh i think it was probably third or fourth quarter can't remember but florida state they're starting defensive tackles were, were pretty gassed at that point. So they came in and Clemson had the ball on like the 12, 15 yard line, uh, the minus 12, you know, 15 yard line. So on their own and Florida state, knowing that field position, put in the backup defensive tackles there to give their starters a blow. And Clemson on like the first or second play of the drive was able to bust a huge run for like 50 yards. And it changed the game. It changed the, 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 uh, It changed the field position, it changed the entire complexion of the game, and all of a sudden, FSU walks out of there, walks out of Death Valley, instead of winning that game, they walk out a close loser, and I think largely because they just didn't have sufficient depth on the interior of the line of scrimmage to be able to hold up for four quarters against a quality offense. And that was the same problem that they had last year. When Lovett and Cooper were not out there, and Lovett was not out there at all in that game, and Cooper was a little banged up, they were not able to hold up against Clemson in the running game, and Shipley was able to basically be a battering ram, especially late, and he was able to gain yardage at the point of attack, and they didn't do a whole lot down the field against Florida State. They had the one uh, mistake by Akeem Dent where they had a little switch concept and, and got lost on the uh, on, on, on the vertical that was a, a deep play. And they had the, the little trick play to the tight end, but those things, you know, you give up 14 points there. You can kind of survive that. You might not even give up the one if you're not having to have uh, some of the issues with the running game already that you're compensating for. The rest of it was basically Clemson just being able to move the football just enough by banging the football with with Shipley. This year, If you've got Daryl Jackson, who, to my knowledge, is still not received the waiver, but, you know, should should get that waiver. So let's say Jackson gets his waiver and you can put Jackson and Lovett out there. Okay, you're good there. You've got Farmer, who's a year stronger and better than he was last year. And instead of having Ray next to Farmer, you have, say, Tifase. you've got uh, you've got Fisk, you've got Briggs. You've got uh, a, a series of guys that have some 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 beef to them that are quality players. All of a sudden, if you're going if you're going six deep with defensive tackles that you feel can actually play and push those guys around a little bit on the interior, now you're forcing Clemson to to win with something other than Shipley. And frankly, until Clemson proves to me that they have quality, you know, number one type wide receivers out there. That's going to be a tall order for them this year. I just don't think they have the personnel out wide to scare you like they have in the past. So to me, fixing the defensive tackle depth issue is the thing that Florida State needed to do to really turn the scales, to turn the to turn the balance of power with Clemson going into this year. Because if they controlled the, the, the line of scrimmage at the defensive tackle position in the last two years, I think they win both of those games. Pretty simple. All right, next question. After watching the spring game, who are your breakout players on offense and defense this year? That's a really good question. Oh, <sighs> let me think. Um, so I, first of all, for breakout player, I'm going to rule out players who have already been breakout players in the past, whether at Florida State or elsewhere. So that's going to rule out Johnny Wilson. It's going to rule out Jaheem Bell that's uh, going to rule out guys that have been on, you know, all conference type lists, rule out Trey Benson, Jordan Travis, those kinds of guys. I and mean, it's breakout player, right? So I think on offense, I'm going to go with two players. One is Rodney Hill. So I think Hill is an absolute stud at running back. I've thought that since he was recruited. I think he is a, I, I think he has rare burst. He's got uh, excellent contact balance. He's a guy that is going to make, he's going to be a big play uh, factory as the lightning to trey benson's thunder in the backfield i think rodney hill is going to be the breakout guy in terms of skill positions the other guy though i think is bless harris i think bless harris is a really he, he really impressed me in the spring game he's a guy that moves fluidly and i think it's a, a real possibility that bless harris is off the board in the nfl draft in the first couple rounds this year if he plays anything like what he showed he could in the spring game and and continues to develop and and push forward a little bit over the course of his of this year you're looking at a guy that's that's going to be off the board before the third round uh as a as a tackle prospect for the nfl because he he looked really good so those would be my guys for the offensive side on the defensive side oh um Thing is, the defense returns so many guys. I mean, Peyton Patrick Payton, you'd say, but he—I think he was a breakout last year, so he's off the board. Interesting thing to me is what's going to happen at safety. Uh, I'm still not real comfortable with Dent and Shaheem Brown as the as your really your only two proven players at the safety position this year. So, and and I've said this before. I'm I'm curious to see what they do. at, at the depth spot at safety. And, and so I'm going to, I'm going to make this contingent if, so if, if I were coaching defense at Florida state this year, the thing that I would want to do with where they're at is I would want to take AZ Thomas and cross train him at safety during the, during the, the, during fall camp, not because I don't believe in him as a corner, but because I want to get my best five on the field. A defensive back as often as I can and best six, if I'm going nickel. And I think I've got two quality corners that are going to be my starters in Cypress and green. And Jerry Jones is a, is a, is a quality backup. Yes. When he's healthy, he's a quality backup could potentially be one of the starters there. You're fine. And AZ Thomas is really good. And he's a guy that, that would get some, would get in the mix and he would get reps at corner this year. But here's the thing. If I had my druthers, what I would do is I would strongly consider having Akeem Dent as my starting buck, the boundary safety, and, having, and seeing if Azaria Thomas can win the free safety position, the field safety position, and beat out Shaheem Brown for that position and make Brown, again, that kind of crossover safety who's that additional body that you rotate onto the field to be you know, in the box to move around to let him be that dime player. And that lets you, in my opinion, get your five best defensive backs on the field. Your best coverage guys on the field when you're in your base. So Thomas at, at field safety becomes that additional cover guy. And then you work from there. And and the way I would sell this is I think Azaria Thomas is the closest comp to him physically. I'm not saying he is this guy. I'm not saying he's as good as this guy. But if you look at his build and everything else, you know, and, and the physical qualities, I've said this since he was recruited, you're looking at a Jalen Ramsey type with that kind of length, the, the 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 long speed that he's got. I would sell that on, look, Jalen Ramsey started at free safety when there were two NFL corners on the roster that were older than him before. And then he moved down to nickel at to star. And then he moved to corner his senior year and or his, his junior year, his third year. He moved to corner and then went to the NFL and played corner. And now, you know, in the NFL, he'll play corner until he's, you know, a little older and then he'll move back to safety and have a long NFL career doing it, doing it that way. I would market it that way to the kid. If We want you on the field right now. And when Renardo Green graduates, if Cypress goes pro after this year, then we slide you right into corner. But if you find a home at free safety this year and, you know, that that becomes the thing, then great. But then you slide right into corner maybe next year, and everything's good. If they do that, then I think Azaria Thomas is my breakout candidate for this year. Because I think at free safety, he'd be a star this year. With, With the guys around him, I think you're looking at a guy that makes turnovers at the free safety position. With his range, his ability to cover at that size, and at that length, I think he's my guy. If he stays at corner, then you know that's I, I think a, a different a different discussion. But I think if he moves to free safety, he's my breakout candidate on defense. If not, if he does not move to to free safety, I mean now you're looking at there's not a whole lot of of, of opportunities to be breakout guys. DeLoach had his breakout season last year. Uh, Dent a year ago, or two years two years ago really. Bethune, no, he's already broken out. Love it, no. Uh, Verse, obviously not. Green, you know, he's a he's a long term starter. I, I think I'd have to go with Greedy Vance as my as my breakout there. And I think he he's the guy that 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 really proved he he, he sort of took the job from Kevin Knowles this spring. So I'd have to go with Greedy Vance, uh, you know, maybe Daryl Jackson. If Daryl Jackson gets his waiver, which I think he will, then now you're looking at, you know, Daryl Jackson as the other. So those would be the guys that I would say as, as breakout guys on, on offensive defense. Next question. After three years of seeing him at Florida State. I think Mike Norvell can be a really good coach. I think he can be elite. I, th- I mean, be elite by winning multiple championships if he gets a better staff around, especially in the defensive side of the ball and better recruiters. I'm still not sold on defensive coordinator Adam Fuller. I've not been as impressed with his blitz packages and his different coverages. We are too vanilla when we have to play teams that are just as talented as we are. When we play a competent team with a good offensive coordinator, we get lit up on the defensive side of the ball. What are your thoughts on this? Can FSU win a championship with Fuller as the defensive coordinator? Wow. A lot of things there. Um, so my first answer is yes, I do think that they can win a national championship with Adam Fuller as the defensive coordinator. I do. Do I think Fuller is an elite defensive coordinator? No. Do I think he's even an outstanding defensive coordinator? No. But I do also think he's coordinated with some personnel handicaps each year at key spots. So he's. if you look at where Florida State's had some weaknesses the last couple of years, you're looking at Defensive tackle, they had no depth there last year, and then the best player at that spot got hurt in game one. That was killer. Cornerback. They've had to protect the cornerback position over and over and over again. And I said last year, toward the end of the year, you know, what, what are you gonna do if you've got weakness at defensive tackle and at corner? Those are the two most important positions on defense. And you're having to protect your your second corner at all times you're having to compensate for some softness on the interior. Well, you you don't have a whole lot of options at that point. You can't, you can't get too cute because you're going to end up getting run by. So the thing that, that the thing that more than anything else you need, if you're going to compete at an elite level on defense is you need to have difference makers at the, at the core key positions, you got to have them. And especially to me that's defensive tackle and cornerback and then you got to have one designated pass rusher that, that can make a difference on the edge ideally a bigger body type guy and you can't be weak on the in, uh, on the inside you can't have significant linebacker or safety problems you can't be you can't be bad there but what matters most is you got to be able to single cover some on the outside you got to be able to hold up at corner and you've got you can't be soft at defensive tackle And Florida State's not been good and certainly not been deep at those spots. So, you know, in terms of, you know, vanilla, you know, too vanilla when they have to play teams as just as talented as they are, well, I'm not so worried about the vanilla thing. I mean, I think when you play teams that are as talented as you are, the team that can run its base stuff the best is going to be the team that's going to win more often than not. The thing that concerns me or that has concerned me about what I've seen from fuller at different points is there've been some fundamental lapses particularly in the in the secondary which again is is his you know he he's he's coaches safeties and you know is more of a back end guy there've been some lapses in how they match at the at the uh at the in the secondary how well how well they actually Play with eye discipline and match different route combinations and uh, how they respond and 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 mesh in terms of communication and all of that. That's been the concern that I've had that suggests that there that a better job could be done a defensive coordinator. So there have been times where running the base stuff that they run, they've not been as coordinated defensively as you'd like to see. My question is how much of that will change with Patrick Sertain at the corners coach. Because I have suspected that maybe that might not just be Fuller. That might be, at least in significant measure, the result of corners and safeties not always being on the same page there. And that's that's something that I can't be sure of at this point. I, I don't know. But, you know, I think... I think you can win the, 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 the most important thing, as I said, is having the personnel at those key spots. And if you want to win a championship, if you took Georgia's personnel on defense the last two years and gave them to Adam Fuller, they'd still be dominant. They'd probably win a national title because it's about the bodies on defense, it's about the personnel, it's about the ingredients. Not about the chef so much. You have to be disciplined enough. But basically, if you can get those guys to just play with discipline and play their roles, and you've got that good a talent on that side of the ball, you're going to be really good. And, you know, that's where I look at Florida State this year. Question is, can they win it this year? And I'm not sure that this is a national championship type team. It's a team that I think can contend. But you look across the board and you go, okay, you've you, you've got Daryl Jackson and Love at, at at nose ta- or at defensive tackle. You've got Fisk and Farmer, Briggs and Tifase. There's your six. So you feel pretty good about what you got at, at at defensive tackle. That's not as good as a couple places in terms of your elite level. You know, guys that are going to go in the first round. You're not you don't have a bunch of first rounders there at defensive tackle. But you got you know six guys there that that have a chance of playing in the NFL. So you feel pretty good about that. Then you got a guy that's first round pick in Jared Verse. You got Patrick Payton, who's a good player. And then Edmund and Turner. So, so you feel pretty good about yourself as a contender on the defensive line. And then Green and Cypress, I think, are all ACC level type corners. So and then Deloach and, and Bethune, you know what you got with them. You got a good backup in Lundy. All of a sudden you're, you're going, you know, you're solid across the board. You may not be elite at every position but you're you're really good at 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 all of those positions and there's not a clear weakness that teams pick on and again that's one of the reasons why i would say moving thomas to free safety for this year all of a sudden you eliminate any possibility of a, of a starter that that you feel like you can pick on in coverage or for any other reason if you if you're in a situation where you've got a defense that you're putting out there when where, where when you're scouting that defense you're you're looking at it and you're going i don't see a clear weakness a guy that i can that i feel like i can just target and, att- and attack all of a sudden that makes you competitive you pair that with a good offense you pair that with an elite offense which you know mike norvell's capable of doing and i think you can win i think you can win a title so then the next question was related to that after 3 years do you think norvell can be an elite coach and by elite i mean winning national championships Well, my response to that is I think he's already an elite coach. He just hasn't won a title yet, but I think Mike Norvell can. And if he keeps getting the support he's getting, he probably will win a national title before he's done at Florida State. I I think I think he's one of the best offensive minds in the game. I've said that for several years, just going through his offense. It's so well coordinated. It's so well put together to take advantage of what teams do. And he's one of the best at uh, locating in the game planning process two or three things that, okay, well, I'm going to get, I'm going to get 50 yards on this. you know, he can kind of with Norvell, you can kind of guarantee just by scheme, by having some wrinkle or whatever, whatever else he's going to get, say 14 points and a hundred and 130, 150 yards just by scheming up a few of those plays that he's going to get those as freebies. He does a great job with that. And then you pair that with top level talent and all of a sudden, yeah, that's, that's elite, elite on the offensive side. And I think organizationally elite, motivationally elite, he's, he's, he's an elite college football coach. Next question was, do you think Norveld needs better coaches around him to win national championships? <laughs> Well, I think it never hurts to have better coaches, but I do think that this staff might be good enough to win a national title. They might be. Uh, one of the things that's interesting here is I think the game in terms of evaluating staffs and all of that is it, it's changed a little bit and we'll, we'll talk about why in just a moment. But this staff, I think, has a collection of, for the most part, better teachers than recruiters. And recruiting is now humming so you don't really worry about recruiting with the staff the way that you that you that you did before because now that they're winning all of a sudden I mean when you're pulling the, the top tight end in the country away from Georgia given Brock Bowers and wh- what they've just been able to do with the tight end position at Georgia when you're doing that you you got some you got some recruiters you, you're, recruiting is not your problem I'll just say that's not going to be a problem. When now that they've shown proof of concept, all of of a sudden, all these kids are starting to want in and you you get Luke Cromenhuk, skill talents, just begging to play with that guy. So they're going to be in position to have the talent on hand to win. Now, here's the thing. I think you have an elite offensive line coach with Atkins. I think he's at least an elite recruiter and a very good actual coach. And it's going to be very hard if you're talking about getting better coaches. It's going to be very hard to replace Atkins with a comparable, let alone better coach. You're not going to find very many like that. To me, by the way, the best case scenario for Florida State, and maybe not for the people involved, one at least one of the people involved, but the best case scenario for Florida State is that when Atkins finally does move on and you know when he gets a head coaching job uh, from the job that he's done at Florida State, when he actually moves on, Your best case scenario is that that lines up with when Memphis moves on from Ryan Silverfield, who was Mike Norvell's offensive line coach at Memphis, and is a top-notch offensive line coach. I've seen him in the in the meeting room firsthand, and he's a really, really good offensive line coach. And then you know when Atkins takes a head coaching job, moves on, you you know just plug in Ryan Silverfield, and all of a sudden you got another four or five years of top level offensive line coaching and recruiting, and you feel really good about that. That's your best case scenario. We'll see how that all lines up. Because, you know, Atkins may well have some opportunities after this year. And, you know, Silverfield at Memphis, I think the last three years they've won six, six and seven games. And and I think Memphis, that's probably not going to, they have another year like that. They may, that may not be enough. So it'll be interesting. But that's where things are on that side. Now, in terms of the rest of the staff, I think you've got a group of good coaches. And the thing is, the, the, there are guys. The, the question is, if you've got good coaches. You can always ask the question of, well, can you get a better coach at that spot? Are there better coaches out there at that spot? And those are two different positions, two different questions. Are there better coaches at that spot? Is one question. Can you replace the guy that you have with one of those better coaches is a completely different thing. And I think what matters most for long-term success in a program is having quality coaches, so good coaches, that are on the same page that allow for, that are there long enough to have continuity in your program. So, you know, changing coaches all the time makes it more difficult. But at the same point, you want your coaches to be good enough that other people want to hire them away. So that's the. That that is the. the sort of difficulty here. So if you look at this, Odell Hagens is a top level defensive ta- defensive tackle coach. Excellent. So. Are there better defensive defensive line coaches out there in the country? Yeah, I think so. Probably I can think of, you know, I can think of a a few guys that that might be. But he's really look, you're not going to replace Odell Higgins with a guy that's that's better <laughs> very easily. He's a guy that, y- you know, you look at that and you go, yeah, he's he's really good. You're going to be good as long as you're going to be good at that position. You're going to be well schooled at that position as long as that guy's on campus. Okay david johnson running backs recruiting coordinator he's a good coach and you're not going to easily upgrade that spot are there guys in the country who are better recruiters at the running back position or at, at the running back coach yeah are there guys who are better maybe better coaches or better recruiting coordinators out there yeah. Are there guys that you would easily be able to replace him with that would be better than him? I don't think so, especially not given the synergy of him being a guy that's coached with Norvell on that side of the ball for a long time. Ron Dugans, guy that a lot of people wanted replaced a couple years ago. And all of a sudden last year, you get a little bit of an upgrade in that receiver room and all of a sudden he looks like a genius. It's because Ron's a good coach. Look, it's possible that, to upgrade that that spot. There are receiver coaches out there who are truly elite, who are probably better than Ron. But Ron's a good coach. He is. And when he's got something to sell, he's a good recruiter. All of a sudden, Florida State's in in play for a bunch of top-level wide receivers. And he's the guy that, you know, Hakeem Williams wanted to play for last year. So, Is he is he is Ron Dugan's a guy you can win a national championship with coaching wide receivers? Yeah. Is David Johnson a guy you can win a national championship with coaching running backs? Yeah. Odo Higgins has three national championship rings as a defensive tackles coach. I think you can you can win with that. Chris Thompson. Quality coach, strong organizational asset. He's also a very good offensive line coach as a, you know, additional guy that can come in and help you. In the running game, uh, when you're when you're doing when you're working on your running game, major acumen and, and a guy that has respect in the program and is a guy that, again, now that he's got something to sell at the tight end spot, look who they just flipped from Georgia. Can you win a national championship with him coaching tight ends? Yes. Tony Tokars, quarterback's coach. I don't like the way that they are coaching the throwing motion above the shoulder, you know, they're kind of pulling down on the ball and across, you know, kind of slashing with the arm. I don't like that. But as a overall quarterback performance, if I'm grading that, <laughs> I'm seeing improvement. I've seen improvement from I've seen improvement year over year from Jordan Travis. I've seen improvement year over year and then year over year from Tate Rodemaker. Duffy and Glenn looked well schooled this this uh, this spring. Can you win a national title with Tokars at quarterbacks coach? Yeah. Randy Shannon has a championship ring coaching on the defensive side of the ball. And he's a really good teacher at linebackers coach. Would he have been my hire at linebackers coach? Probably not. Can you find a guy that's a better linebackers coach around in the country? Yeah. Would it be a natural thing where if you're going to swap Randy, Randy Shannon out, you're going to find somebody who's going to be that much better than him Ah, John Papuchis at defensive ends. Is he a good coach? Yeah, he's a good coach. Is he a good teacher? Yeah, good teacher. Is he a good special teams coordinator? I'm l- I'm less certain about that. But can you win a national championship with, with him coaching defensive ends? Well, look at the results the last few years. Yeah, I think so. So now you're down to Fuller and Sertain. We don't really know with Sertain. I mean... You think yeah, I think the guy knows how to coach defensive backs. I did see some some uh, encouraging signs in the spring game there. So I'm going to give that a, an incomplete, but a possibly. And then Fuller is really the question mark. Can you win a title with Fuller as your defensive coordinator safeties coach? That's the question mark. And I've already answered sort of as best I can on that. So. Does he need better coaches to win national championships around him? I think you can win with this staff. I do. I think if you don't have a dynamite year with the personnel that you have on defense this year, you've got to start having some serious conversations with Adam Fuller. Because I think the rest of the coaching staff you look at and you go, these guys, you, you should be able to win a title with, with that level of, of coaching if you've got some consistency around them. So this brings us to this, to the second part of this question and, and, I split the question in two. I think he needs to get another two elite recruiters. Atkins is one and maybe Sertain can be that coach. I still think we need another one somewhere on staff. What are your thoughts on this? So again, my first thought is it never hurts to have better recruiters, but I think the game is changing somewhat here in the, in the NIL uh, nil era, having coaches who can actually teach and coach on the field. Once players get on campus is more important than ever. while, the, the, the things that made you a great high school recruiter before the NIL era may be a little bit less important than they have been. So you still need to be have guys that are dynamic and can build relationship and all of that, sure. But I think that's a little less important than it has been. H- hiring guys because they're recruiters, I think, and again, that that's a code word in certain respect, in several respects, uh, hiring guys that are recruiters first i think is less important now than it was five years ago because what matters more is keeping guys on campus once they're there and developing them quickly so that you can actually benefit from them before they transfer out of your program that matters more and in the transfer portal era reputation of being guys who can actually coach who people want to play for and having a competitive NIL situation at your program is what lands guys from the portal. And the guys that you land from the portal can't transfer until they've graduated. So those guys actually become your program guys because they're they're invested. You get long-term, you get a guy, you get a transfer of three years, and you got a guy that's not going to transfer. As opposed to you, you know, recruit a four-star freshman, and he doesn't play for first year, doesn't play second year, and he transfers. So, I think having elite recruiters matters less now than it did in the past. And what matters most is having re- well respected, good teachers who actually get the most out of the players they have on campus, retain players, keep them happy as best they can while maintaining discipline, and then are attractive to transfers who actually know a little bit more about the process having gone through the first recruiting side, this is side of things. So that's my thought. All right. There, there are a, a bunch of other questions here. Uh, I'm going to, I'm going to split this, this episode in two, but before I go any further, I'm going to, I'm going to address one other question before getting to, uh, before, before ending this episode and, and, and moving on to the next one. And that is, what are your expectations if Destin Hill makes it onto campus? Well, funny you ask that, <laughs> because as of recording this, Destin Hill is enrolled at Florida State and is on campus and is ready to roll. The uh, family problems that have been keeping him off of campus for the last two years have been dealt with, have been addressed sufficiently for him to be at Florida State, and he is starting now. At Florida State, as a freshman at twenty years old, ready to roll. So my expectations. First of all, I should mention I've seen the videos that you know different outlets, videos and photos that other outlets uh, you know shot and all of that and posted up. So I've I've gotten a chance to see what he looks like right now on the hoof, and that that's that's a that's a factor in my uh, assessment here, because it's pretty obvious that that guy didn't just sit sit on the couch the last 2 years. He he looks like he actually maintained his body to uh, as well as you can when you're not playing for the last 2 years. He's added a little bit of muscle as you would expect for a 20 year old at that point. Um, you know, you should add muscle between 18 and 20. And, you know, in terms of what he just looks like, he doesn't look like he's going to be, you know, sluggish and and struggling to uh, to get in shape and he's got a full summer now to work himself into as close to football shape as he can be and go through catching and throwing and learning as much as he can in terms of, uh, of what he needs to know for the offense going in. And he's had two years to be able to study the playbook. So, you know, a lot of things going on there. So all of that said, I think physically speaking, he's going to be more ready after a year uh, or after a summer of training for it and getting into camp. He's going to be, he's going to be physically pretty ready to go. I think And there are certain things that, you know, you are or you aren't. This is not a matter of like, you know, you need to stay in practice as much. There are certain things like. I think he is an immediate contender to be the starting punt returner and and a guy that's a a kickoff returner for you, because those are things like, look, if you're a guy that can catch punts and has the stones to catch punts, (laughs) both the the physical ability and the you know the the mentality to to catch punts, then you're then you're a guy that can catch punts. <laughs> it's it's sort of born in to some degree. You can work on it, and you can you know continue to you know get better at it. But that's something that if you can do it, if you could do it, you can do it. You can do that as a freshman, and you can work on that all camp and be ready to roll. And same thing with kickoff returner. If you are a you know stud athlete then as a kickoff returner, well, you know, get the ball in, ha- in your hands. So those are things that, you know, look at, look at him as a possibility there. Special teams immediately, a guy that I think is, is, is out there on a lot of different special teams. And I think he's going to be on coverage. He's going to be, you know, contending to be returner at different spots. Uh, just get him out there as much as you can on special teams. But the other thing here, too. Is I think, again, having gone back and looked at what he looked like in high school, I think you have to consider him a contender to get real playing time at the the two spot, at that flanker spot where you're replacing Pokey Wilson. And I know this sounds crazy for me, I mean, given all of the stuff that I've said over the years about don't expect first year uh wide receivers to to make a make a big difference or to start or to you know play that much or whatever yeah he's a first year player but he's also a 20 year old fo- former honor student smart kid smart smart man smart young man i gotta get away from calling 20 year olds kids he's he's a smart smart dude he's had two years to to kind of study and and learn what he wanted to i don't know how much he's had but you know I'd expect that they've they've had some stuff in his hands. At 20, he's going to be more mature than a typical 18-year-old freshman. He's going to be ready to roll on that front. And again, classroom's not going to be a problem for him. And he is very motivated right now. So that, you know, going to be potentially a guy that you just want to see what he's got there. And the thing you got to remember, this is a guy with rare burst and contact balance. In terms of those physical traits, he's the top on the roster day one. At in terms of wide receivers in those traits, and he's a guy that in terms of what he can do with the ball in, in the screen game, he's immediately the best on the team on that. In terms of of his overall ceiling, the, the 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 physical traits that he brings to the table, he's best. He's the best on the team from day one. I mean, to me, he's a Jamar Chase type of player. Is he a, a Jamar Chase level player? No, I'm not saying that. Comps. I'm just talking about what physical type traits he brings to the table, 6'1", 200 plus with burst and the ability to break tackles, great contact balance, strong dude who stop and start, the ability to just get up to full speed in three steps and then get to zero in two steps is really unusual at a guy that size. So you're talking about a guy that, that, that brings those things to the table And now, I mean, yeah, you you get those rare traits and a guy, it's a matter of how quickly can he learn what you want him to do on offense? Do I expect him to be a day one starter at that spot? No. Do I expect him to really be, do I expect him to finish in the top five on the team in receiving? Probably not. No, but he's a guy that could, and he's a guy that, you know, I'm really interested to see what he does. And I think 2024, he becomes a difference maker for you. 2023 is a feet wet year. And I think you maybe get a punt returner out of him. 2024, I think he becomes a difference maker on your offense. And you you look at him, you, you compare him like physically to someone like Winston Wright. And he's significantly faster than Wright. He's bigger than Wright and way burstier. Than anything Wright showed when he was at West Virginia, for example. So just in terms of the traits, that's what you're looking at. And that's before Wright was injured. Now, Wright should be more ready to play. But I mean, that's what you're looking at. So some of this, though, the wide receiver position is, is hard because there is a certain amount of adjustment that that comes in, especially coming to college, of learning to catch with that kind of that level of coverage. And how in rhythm is he going to be to, you know, how many drops is he going to have as he's fighting off coverage, that sort of thing. And that's where you kind of expect there to be a year or so learning curve for him, even at 20. But like I said, I think there's some some real stuff to, to, uh, to build on there. And I think 2024, he's, he's, he's going to be a, a real player. In any case, uh, the fact that he showed up speaks volumes, because guys that, do, that it doesn't work out for that first year, those guys don't show up. They 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 just never come on campus. Callahan, Bright, Deshaun Platt. I mean, you can go down the list, and a got for a guy to fight in and 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 still make it on campus two years later. That bodes well for the kind of impact that you expect from him down the line. It shows that that's a guy that's going to do the work, that's going to stick to it, that's not going to let let things uh, keep him off the field, and. Wow you know good for him for sticking with it good for Norvell and company for being for for sticking with him uh, on all of that and you you expect him to to be able to make some contributions this year I do think you'll see some contributions from him this year and I think in 2024 he's a beast he makes you better so and the fact that you get that guy, that this, I mean, Florida State had not had a whole lot go right for several years. And now all this stuff is starting to come right at all at once. It's hard not given given this guy being on campus now, it's hard not to think of 2023 as possibly a season of destiny for Florida State. This has been the Unconquered Podcast. I'm your host, Jason Staples. Thanks for listening. The Unconquered Podcast is brought to you by EPR Creations, Luis Marquez of Keller Williams Realty in Jacksonville, Florida, ShenRealestate.com in Chapel Hill, North Carolina, Garage Makeovers of Palm Beach in Broward County, and the Unconquered Podcast Shop at unconqueredpodcast.com, which features stickers, magnets, and other seminal gear. Thanks also to those supporters over at Patreon, where I post video analysis and field questions for the podcast from supporters. I'm especially grateful to those above the dynasty level. That is Andrew Garrett, Brian Leininger, Jonathan Kennedy, Lee Caswell, Travis Smith, Tyler Kosciuszki, Dave Blair, and Bert Bertoldi. If you've been enjoying this podcast, please leave a five-star rating over at Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen to podcasts. Post us on social media and tell a friend. This has been the Unconquered Podcast. I'm your host, Jason Staples. Thanks for listening. I made this.